Bear Down Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast headed your way. Pat the designer, Courtney Cronin in the building. Gotta sit here and talk about uh, some of the things that we heard yesterday at the press conference. Nothing crazy really from Justin Fields, but he says he's not worried about his future right now. He's just putting his faith in God and going out there and playing. Also on today's podcast, special guest, Former Detroit Lion Glover Quinn will join the show and we will break down eye on the enemy on this Detroit Lions team that we just saw three weeks ago. Can we go out there and finally get a win versus, uh, I'd say, a tougher divisional opponent, right? That's that's what the Vikings win feels a little shisty, but a win is a win. Uh, Courtney, as always, how are you? Welcome into the show. Yeah, it's uh, it's. It, you know, teams back to work. They're healthy right now. I thought the injury report yesterday was a good indication that they're going to be more or less at full strength yeah. going into the Detroit game, which is not something you could say about the last time this team played Detroit with Fields coming off the thumb injury. We didn't know how he was going to to look. Um, of course, Deontay Foreman was dealing with the ankle injury, which he ended up re-injuring in Detroit. But he was on yesterday with an illness, but he was still a full participant. So. Backfield's healthy. Obviously, the quarterback's healthy. Most of the offense is healthy. And on yep. the back end of the defense, Tyreek Stevenson, full go yesterday. So that's a great sign for this group. It's good to see this team moving in the right direction. Make sure that you guys hit that like button, subscribe to the page, leave that five-star review. Y'all know what to do. Y'all already jumped into the injury report. Love that. Um, even good to see Noah Sewell limited yesterday because he's been out for a while. So Seeing guys get back in, this Bears team starting to get healthy, possibly at the right time with five games left. We heard yesterday from Justin Fields that he doesn't really pay attention to the outside noise. My favorite part is he goes, y'all been killing me since I got here. (laughs) Like, this is nothing new. But when you heard Justin's comments yesterday, what were your thoughts on kind of just where the quarterback's mindset is heading into these next five weeks and kind of maybe what his expectation for himself is? Well, this is not the first time that he's talked big picture and philosophically about his outlook. We heard very similar comments from him after the week three loss at Kansas City. But this is the first time that he had uttered the words, whether I'm here next year or somewhere else. Yeah. And that, of course, is going to raise some eyebrows. But it it truly speaks to the fact that he understands what this business is. He understands the position his team is in you know, next year sitting on the number one overall pick. But also, I tend to think that that's him realizing, hey, I can't put, I can't press these final five games because I'm only going to end up hurting myself in the end. Either way, I've got a future in the NFL, whether it's with the Bears or whether it's with another team. And he's right. I mean, either way, if he's here next year, if he's traded somewhere else because the Bears go out and use that number one overall pick on Caleb Williams, Fields will have a chance to continue his NFL career. And maybe for him, a fresh start, all the circumstances considered with this coaching staff, with his growth in this offense. I mean, he's been, you know, consistently inconsistent throughout his Bears career. Some of that on him, some of that, uh, you know, on the circumstances for which he's in. And maybe a fresh start would be good for him. But look, I, this is who Justin Fields is every single time we see him at the podium. He's level headed. He understands like what 
is being asked of him anytime he has to make public facing comments. And I thought he handled himself really well with that. I thought it was a nice dose of perspective that he understands he can't like view, oh my gosh, I need to like do everything possible to keep my job here over the final five games because it's a situation and a decision that ultimately will be out of his control. Same thing with the coaching staff, more or yeah. less. Like Matt Eberflus, that's, we talked all big picture stuff with him yesterday about the patience and, and starting to see the, you know, the team turn the tide a little bit. But also realizing that these final five games, if the if the front office, if the ownership, if ownership, if Kevin Warren has uh, something in mind about who they want leading the team next year from a head coach and quarterback perspective, it might not matter what happens with Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields and what they do over these final five games. But for them personally, and when it pertains to Fields, he's got to just show he can be a consistent, like build consistently on what he's done since he came back against Detroit, had a great game for 54 minutes, and then let it leading a two leading a two minute drive, leading a game winning drive at the end of the Minnesota game, despite yep. not this offense not scoring off turnovers. There's a lot of positive for him to build on, and that's what I took away from it. Big picture, looking at his circumstances and what it means for his future. I think you also have to have a conversation too on right. He's limited. I think he's limited as maybe as a QB, if if you want to say that, but he's limited to whatever his play caller calls. And I don't think mm -hmm. that he's a good enough quarterback just yet. I, not to say he can't get there, but to say, okay, whatever Luke calls, you know, I'm going to make whatever adjustment I need to make to make this a play that works for me. And so I think because of that, he understands over the next five weeks, right? If we have another, we're throwing 16 screens game, mm -hmm. I'm throwing 16 screens. Right, like I, this is this is the game plan that coaches put in place. He's somebody to me that just trusts his coaches implicitly, maybe, or maybe, or or to a fault. It maybe is be a better word there. And so I think that right, he understands as much as these next five weeks can be. We're airing it out. We're throwing it downfield. I'm getting to show what I can actually do. They can also be the flip side of this. And so with both of those situations in place, I mean. It's almost like I'm on the mercy of the court. Whatever Kevin Warren decides, whatever Ryan Poles decides, it's going to be based on whatever we put out there. And you bring up a good point because I do like this is something that needs to be talked about when we talk about the game plan, what quarterbacks are expected to execute and the ones who can just all of a sudden just change and kind of go rogue and do their own thing. Very few quarterbacks have the freedom and flexibility to have carte blanche at the line of scrimmage where they can, it's just like even like great quarterbacks, like you can't just divert from the game plan. So the idea that's out there is, oh man, like another conservative game plan. Why can't Fields work around it? Why can't he do something else? Yeah. Sometimes there's not an option to do something else within a specific play. And he has to carry out what's being asked of him because that all all in that moment, obviously you have options on plays. You have a run option sometimes, sometimes if, it, you know, that's why the RPOs are so important. That's why, yeah. you know, all of the read option stuff that he had in Detroit the first time, like that's why he, for a quarterback who has a dual threat skill set like him, that's what the Bears need to see coming into this Lions game and then throughout the remaining four games after that. But the idea that there was some, it's something that, there's something that he could have done differently in terms of what was executed in the game plan against Minnesota. I think it's just like, I think that's just a fallacy. I don't believe that to be the case because 
that is what Luke Getze designed to beat the blitz. And did it work? Not really, because when you think about the effectiveness, were they moving the ball? Yeah, but they still weren't scoring off turnovers. There still were, you know, some critical fumbles in the fourth quarter. And until that final drive where the Vikings decided to drop eight, like they just didn't really have much of a chance to do much else based on what the game plan was. So, I mean, that's going to be a question for Luke Getze this week about how, because you know the opponent's going to be different. You're not going to be facing as aggressive and complex of a blitz scheme with the Lions defense, which is kind of going in the wrong direction. Like they you know, something that we can definitely get into with Glover because they're not, they're not in a great situation themselves right now, but it's going to be a completely different look from what the bears saw against uh, the Vikings two weeks ago. And, you know, when it pertains to the quarterback, he has to do what he's asked of because otherwise, you know, there's 10 other guys he's responsible for offensively. So the idea that like Justin Fields can all of a sudden just change everything that's going on, and do something that like he sees as a better yeah. fit like that's just i think that's not just like a not smart view of, of the situation considering the confines of what he's being asked to do offensively at times and it is right that's the difference in you have to have that relationship right like that's so i think people think that everything's mad <laughs> no matter what i step on the field if i tell this guy to run this play he runs this play perfectly and we already know that you're in the first year of what something that may continue, may not, depending on how the Bears go decision wise of DJ Moore and Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. There has to be an understanding. There has to be something like when you think about Gronk and Brady, there was time with them together before it got to the point where Tom looks at Gronk and says, if he plays off you like that again, just do what you do. Then I'm going to get you to football. Kelsey and, and Mahomes, right? Like those are relationships that have been built. That's not the first year of something. So if you build this thing up, Maybe then we'll see Justin Fields say, oh, DJ, if they play off you like that again, run a slant underneath, you'll be at the house. Those changes take time to build because that's not Mm -hmm. one. That's something between the quarterback and the receiver, the quarterback tight end relationship. And if you do that every single play, you're not going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL because the play caller is going to look at you and be like, why the heck isn't he running anything I told him to run? Well, and the point about DJ Moore, like this is something we've talked about all season long. They need to get him more involved, and they have got him more involved. When we think about the double-digit catch game that he had against Minnesota, that should be closer to the norm than anything else. And you're seeing how effective Justin Fields is when he's targeting DJ Mm -hmm. Moore. Going into – or coming top QBR out, in the league, right? Yeah, top QBR in the league coming out of the the Vikings game when targeting a specific receiver. So the best of any quarterback receiver combo, more than two and Tyree Kill, and I think that that really speaks to the influence that DJ Moore has on the overall offense and how his success is directly correlated to how good the offense is and vice versa. Yeah, but um. You know, that's that's a big part of it when we think about two years in the same system for Justin Fields and like the idea that the Bears have this decision to make in the offseason, which way are they going to go? Do you want to start all over and have to build either with a new play caller, new quarterback, maybe both? Or do you want to try to see this thing through one more year with these pieces in place and then continue to add like it's a I know it sounds simple in theory. It's like one or the other. Yeah. You like, you know, you pull the lever on one and then like the other thing, the other opposite happens. And then you're in a position to continue what you're doing or blow it all up. It's 
there's so many layers to it that make it more complex than that. And either way, you know that DJ Moore is going to be great no matter who his quarterback is. And if they're going to bring more pieces in offensively, they'll be fine too. But you know, with Justin, you're seeing the growth of that, that connection and just how important that return on investment has been for the bears. Even if people are going to like pick apart the numbers and say, well, DJ Moore is, you know, his, his yards are a byproduct of all of these short passes and screens and, you know, an offense that's not as explosive as it wants to be. They're still moving the ball when they're targeting him. And that's big for Justin Fields and a quarterback's confidence and something for him to build on as he goes into these final five games. And I I love that people are trying to like bring down, oh, well, Justin Fields isn't putting the ball in the air enough. He's not throwing it down the field. When we also watch Brock Purdy throw it to Debo Samuel eight times a game, and he's probably going to win an MVP here. And Debo just takes it 60 yards to the house. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like, it's okay. To have your receiver get some yak. Uh, let me let me ask you this question, Courtney, because the one part that I've kind of found interesting is the last couple of times we've heard Flus talk about the offense. He's talked about how after the Vikings performance, he's looking for to see more of those explosive plays. Yeah. He's looking to see this offense be an offense that attacks. Is that a shot directly at Luke Getze basically saying, you got to put the ball in the air you can't sit here and throw 16 screen passes in a game plan, or is that just kind of coach talk again? We're at the podium. What am I supposed to say? Well, I think it's both because you go back to right after the Vikings game when he's talking about those explosives, some of it felt like those options were there on the outside that the quarterback didn't make those throws. You can think about the big third and third and nine or third and 11 to Mooney where Justin had a bunch of time as he's running towards, I believe it's the visitor sideline and he misses him. Like, you know, Mooney was wide open. That was, he was open enough, especially up until the end. Yeah. There was, I think it was Josh Metellus who was closing in on him, but he was open. Justin should have hit that throw. Same thing with DJ Moore on, you know, third and long at another point in the game. Like to Mm -hmm. me, I hear that as the coach saying, well, a couple of plays that the quarterback didn't execute, but also when he mentioned sudden change, they've got to be better in those moments of capitalizing off of the, the extra possessions that they get, which could be, you know, extra possessions so turnover, uh, turnover on downs, um, you know, the takeaways, things like that, but also a takeaways, what 13 points off of that. If you, yeah, like if you have a big return off kickoff or off punt and you have great field position, then you should be in a position to get points off of that drive. Obviously, you want touchdowns. Sometimes they're going to have to settle for field goals, but it has to be better than what it's been the last two weeks because that's not how you're, it's just like it's wasted possessions. And to me, when I heard Matt Eberflus talk about that yesterday, it didn't sound like a shot at the offensive coordinator. It didn't sound like a shot directly at the quarterback, it sounded like an execution, the issue, like the offense has to be better in these situations, which means blocking, you know, you think about the screen game and why, like why it just didn't really work at some moments in, in Minnesota, you know, there were, you know, Equinemius St. Brown missed that big block at one point on, I think it was on the Mooney play. Um, There's, there's a lot of that. That's, it sounds cliche, but that's an all 11 issue where if, if that doesn't happen, then of course you can expect it to look like the first half of the Lions game where they didn't score off turnovers or three points off four turnovers against Minnesota. Like it's not going to look good if you don't have 
the execution in those critical moments where it really does matter that you have everybody operating, you know, the way that they need to, because you, those are possessions that are gifts. And yeah, some of those, you're always going to have punt returns. You're always going to have kickoff returns, but the seven interceptions they had in the last two games, four takeaways against the lions and then four takeaways again against the Vikings. Don't squander those opportunities because they finally started to come. Remember how many weeks they went without getting interceptions, without turning the ball over, forcing turnovers. You don't want to go back to a a situation where you don't have a chance to control time of possession, where you don't feel like you are in dominant control of this game the way that they were against the Lions for 40 minutes, and then they still lost. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think as well, like you said, an all-11 issue, right? Like Mm -hmm. Justin Fields' second fumble, the first thing I thought was, dang, Coco, mate, you're not going to block for your quarterback right there? You're just running down the field? and. Justin Fields says it yesterday. I thought Cole was going to make that block. Mm-hmm. He moved around him. I didn't think Cole threw a great block. But, you know, it, it, those are the moments where I look at, and and people are going to say, oh, you're making excuses for Justin. He shouldn't have fumbled in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I thought Cole Komet was going to make that block. If EQ St. Brown does make that block, we're talking about Justin Fields having a great day because that's now over a 300-yard day because Darnell Mooney had nothing but daylight. So I do see what you mean when you say, all 11 uh, are, are are a part of the problem here. It's not just a Justin Fields, Luke Getzey type of issue. Uh, let's transition here, though, because this is our Thursday episode. This is our Eye on the Enemy episode. And uh, we've got somebody who's seen us quite a bit here in Chicago joining the show from the Believe in Lions podcast. 24 career interceptions, 19 of them as a Lion, a former pro bowler, and a part of the last two Lions playoff teams. So, he doesn't know a thing or two about winning. Let's welcome into the show, Glover Quinn, everybody. What's happening, my guy? Hi, what's up, man? How y'all doing? Yeah, see, he got the shirt mic. EO, you was worried about this guy's a professional, brother. He's got the <laughs> mic on point, perfect camera. This guy knows what he's doing, man. What's going on with you, Glover? Uh-oh, did he freeze? Oh boy, I gave I gave him too much props. He hyped him up. He's got all the equipment and then his internet failed. I mean, it happens. I mean, your internet was failing the other day, oh and I God. had to, you know, talk about sudden change. <laughs> like all of a sudden you're here and then you're gone and then you're here again. So I'm just trying to, you know, keep talking until we get your internet figured out. So, you know, it happens. It happens. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Sometimes it happens like that. We're gonna try to get Glover back in here. Let's see. Uh, uh and there, there we, we go. go. We got him. We got there him. We go. The internet hated on you, bro. I hyped you up too much man what happened right there <laughs> yeah you gotta call xfinity bro you can call xfinity out on that <laughs> well glover welcome to the show we appreciate you uh tuning in with us i mean listen huge matchup here um bears lions huge matchup for us i think even a huge matchup for you guys as well because that first game versus the lions it felt like the Bears kind of exposed that Lions defense a little bit, and teams have been taking advantage of them since that game. Packers come out of it with a win using a little bit, not a lot less mobility, but a little bit of mobility from Jordan Love and a good blocking scheme. And, of course, the comeback that we saw uh, from the New Orleans Saints that I thought was just I thought they were going in the wrong direction that entire second half. What is happening now to this Detroit Lions defense that we've seen it kind of start to go the other way? You know, I I think they've struggled really with um, mobile quarterbacks all year. 
going back to week two when they played against Seattle. Um, And when I say mobile, I don't mean mobile as in quarterbacks looking to run for touchdowns. It's just quarterbacks just stand alive in the pocket. You know, when you look back at the when we played the Bears, Justin Fields didn't run around like he was trying to go and score touchdowns, but he stayed alive in the pocket. He moved around. He made timely scrambles when he needed to, but moving around in the pocket, allowing his wide receivers to get open and the Lions not being able to get good pass rush. They're not being able to stick to guys in coverage and that's hurt those guys. And then you saw it, you know, they were able to come back against Chicago but they couldn't do it against Green Bay. And you have a, you know, a, a bad loss on Thanksgiving, which Green Bay is playing pretty good right now. Um, yeah. But you, you would expect them to win that game at home on Thanksgiving. And so then you go back and you look at, you know, Sunday against against um, the Saints. You know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, Taysom Hill made some plays, you know, turnovers led to opportunities for the Saints to, to have – you know, a chance to get back into the game. And, you know, the secondary hasn't played well the last couple of weeks. I haven't – I don't – I can't recall a play that they've made. I mean, I know Brian Branch had the interception on the opening play of uh, Sunday's game, but just over the course of the game, you haven't seen timely plays, pass breakups, things like that to really affect the game. And so I just think they, they just haven't really been playing well. Um, and I'm hoping that it's just kind of like, a, I don't want to say mid season, but kind of like a third quarter season slump Yeah, that, you know, maybe you need to go through right now so that you can get things in line so that when you do get into late December, January into the playoffs that, you know, you're kind of clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, they're 24th in turnovers, they have 14 this year. So it does feel like there's been this regression of sorts. And and I wanted to ask you from your perspective, when you were part of those two playoff teams, 14 and 16, the course of the season, nothing's going to be perfect at all times. Like, did you guys go through that as a defense at any point? And how do you how do they get out of it? How do they become more opportunistic? Because the Bears had that same situation where they weren't getting the takeaways up until the Detroit game, where they come away with four, it's pretty bleak. The first, you know, 10, 11 weeks of the season. How does a team, how does a defense capitalize on that and actually become more opportunistic, especially on the back end? Well, you got to you gotta emphasize turnovers and stuff like that every single day. Um, in some games, you're going to get them. Some games, you're not. Um, but when opportunity presents itself, you got to take advantage of it. And, you know, you just got to play consistently. You got to have a good pass rush every time. If you can't control the game up front with your pass rush, it puts a lot of pressure on the defense because you, now you have to do different blitzes or things like that to try to get pressure on the quarterback. And when you do those things, you're taking guys out of coverage. You're putting DBs in situations where it may not be the best playmaking situation. When you can control things up front, when I was in Detroit, uh, our first playoff year, you know, our front seven, our front D-line, we had Ndamukong and Sue, we yep. had Nick Farrelly, we had Ziggy Ansah, we had Jason Jones. We didn't have to blitz. We didn't have to send anybody. Our linebackers, we had Stephen Tulloch, we had DeAndre Levy. We had, like, we didn't have to do anything with the secondary to get pressure on the quarterback and to cover underneath routes. Like, those guys were good in that regard. So from a secondary standpoint, it was really all about, hey, what's our run support on the outside? Safeties, let's converge on the ball on, on things that may squirt through up the middle. 
but we're trying to catch interceptions. We're looking to make plays on the ball. And if you look at that year, I think I had seven that year. I think Jamie yeah. Hannibal had four that year. I think Slay had a few that year. Uh, Rasheen, like we were, that's what that's what we were doing. We was we weren't worrying about the run or this or that because those guys were taking care of all that stuff. And so when you have situations like that as a defense, the guys who are on there to make plays on the ball, because let's let's be honest, the D line is there to make plays on the quarterback. The linebackers are there to make plays on the running backs and 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 some tight ends in the in the run game, and the secondary is really there to catch the interceptions. And I, mean, I know linebackers; it happens every now and then, but that's really what it is, right? <laughs> I mean, I I literally used to tell those guys like, I, "Don't send me on the blitz. Like, let the other guy take the blitz. They pay me to catch the interceptions. Like, they don't pay me to get sacks. That's that's not gonna bump my pay grade. I end the season with four sacks. Like, okay, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let me catch four or five interceptions. Um, and so when you have that mentality, that's what you're focused on. That's what you're trying to do. And when you when you can just focus on that and not have to worry about, okay, man, quarterback's gonna be running all over the place, or we're gonna plaster, we're gonna do all those things, you know, it just makes it difficult. Because, you know, when we play, when we used to play against Aaron Rodgers when he was in his, you know, younger days and he's way more mobile. And people people used to think that Aaron Rodgers was very difficult as a pocket passer, and he really wasn't a great pocket passer on time. If you look back at a lot of those plays, yeah, he might throw a quick slant here or there or a little quick, you know, screen out to the side. But a lot of times he was just standing alive in the pocket and allowing yeah. Jordy Nelson and allowing, allowing Devontae Adams and some of those guys just to get open. He's playing street ball. So that's kind of what the Lions struggle with. Mm-hmm. And that's what Chicago exposed. Well, I don't want to say exposed because I feel like Seattle did the same thing. Yeah. Um. So they got to get better. They got to get better at that. They they definitely got to get better at that. Well, you bring up you mentioned so many names there. Like for your playoff teams, you had horses up front. Yeah. Do you think does Aaron Glenn the style of defense that he wants to 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 have his guys play that he wants to call. Does he does not have the personnel? And of course you can think about the Aleem McNeil, how well he had been playing from the interior on the interior of the defensive line. He's on injured reserve. Now they can't get a consistent pass rush. They haven't been able to marry the Russian coverage. Do they have to like the style that they want to play? Is it not applicable right now? And do they need to find a workaround to, for that the final five games of the regular season? I, de- I definitely think they're going to have to find something because, I mean, outside, I mean, they did, they added, you know, Bruce Irvin, who had a big sack on, on Sunday. He, you know, he had the, the personal foul penalty as well, but he got, he was getting pressure on the quarterback. And so I think them signing a guy like Bruce Irvin, right, a 36-year-old pass rusher, shows you what they think, right? They need somebody opposite of Aiden Hutchinson that could get pressure on a the quarterback. They need somebody else. James Houston has been on IR uh, dealing with his injuries and things like that. So they need somebody else to try to get pressure so they go out and get a proven guy, Seattle, Super Bowl champion, uh, but he's 36 years old. And he looked fresh on Sunday. I mean, hopefully he can continue to look fresh week in and week out. But I think they're definitely going to have to find some type of workaround, some kind of way, because I don't think you have a strong enough secondary overall to just put all those guys on like an island and 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 put the pressure on all those guys. They're 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 young. I mean, I think this is Jerry Jacobs' first year as a starter. Uh, Brian Branch is a rookie. 
Um, Kirby Joseph is only in year two, I think, maybe three. Um, Tracy Walker, you know, he's probably the oldest guy in there, and I think he's probably the year five or six. Um, Cam Sutton, um, yeah, I think he's a, a five-year guy, but I don't know how much he really played played in Pittsburgh. So I just think they're a younger secondary, and you can't put that much pressure on those guys like that. You look at the linebackers, you know, Alex Anzalone was out last week. You know, those guys are young with, with Jack Campbell in there. He's a rookie. Um, Aiden's young. He's only a second-year guy. So a lot of those guys are young, and, and they're playing really hard. They're playing well. But, you know, you got to figure out different ways to get pressure, relieve some stress on the secondary. And like you said, they don't have the same horses that we had in 2014 up front to where you can control the game without ever having the blitz. You've mentioned the horses a couple of times, and there were horses available. And, and by a trade, right, there were people, the Chicago Bears end up getting Montez Sweat, right? We've seen guys become available. Do you feel like Detroit will be hurt in the long run this season by not risking it and going and getting one of those guys and saying we're going all in on this season right here because this is the season that we can win currently right now, right? Like there was there was pass rushers that make Aiden Hutchinson's life not basically just be go out there and be a magician and find a way to get to the quarterback. You know, I, I don't think they they wanted to do that this year just because, you know, when you look at their team, like I said, a lot of those guys are young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, outside of maybe somebody on the O-line, I think Amon Ross St. Brown may be coming up here in a year or two. I don't see anybody that's going to be up for big contracts outside of Jared Goff. They just got the running backs paid. They, Jameer Gibbs is a rookie. Aiden Hutchinson is in year two. Yep. You know, your secondary is young. Um, your linebackers are young. Your D-line, your O-line is the only guys that may have somebody, Taylor Decker or Frank Ragnow. Some, one of those guys may come up here somewhere. I don't know those guys' exact, you know, contract situations. You look at the receivers. I mean, Jamison is young. Um, like I said, Amon Ra, he may be coming up in like year three or four or something like that where he may be due um, shortly. Maybe. I don't know for sure. So I don't think they felt like this right here had to be a, a all or nothing year. Like we, this thing is going to blow up right. after this year. I think they feel like they got this year to to make a run for it, you know what I'm saying, and see what they can do. And I think next year, I think we'll probably be one of those all or none type of years. Like, all right, we've we've gotten to the playoff. We've won the division. We went deep in the playoffs because I see them possibly getting at least to the to NFC championship game. I, I can see. Uh oh. Yeah, I can see. I could see them making it to the playoffs, um, being a you know two or three seed. Um, depending. I mean, they got a pretty easy. On paper, pretty easy stretch down the, you know, down the last few games outside mm-hmm. of, you know, and no disrespect. I'm just going by based off paper. I know it's the NFL. Anybody can beat you. <laughs> and these are division games, right? Playing Chicago is not a walk in the park. Yeah. But when you look on paper, the Lions should, should beat the Bears, right? When you look on paper, they should beat Minnesota. They should beat um some of the other, a lot of the other teams that they have left on the schedule. I think the Dallas game is probably the biggest on paper 
game coming up in the last four or five games. And so, you know, um, I think they could make it out to be a two or three seed, get a home playoff game and get a win. You know, that second playoff game, you know, they may have to go on the road. And that would be tough because if you get to three, you're going to be looking at either Philly or San Fran in the in the two seed yeah. that you're going to have to go there and play in, in the second round. So that could be tough. Yeah. Um, so they, they need to fight to try to get the two seed. And they still gonna have to run up against Philly or San Fran or yeah, Dallas. I was just saying they gonna beat it. But at least it's at home. It's not in Philly and it's not in San Fran. So, you know, and I, and I mean, it just all depends on how it shake out. It just all depends on how it shake out. But um, I don't think they felt like it was an all or nothing year this mm-hmm. year, and they wanted to get guys that fit what they were trying to do, guys that believe and 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 want to do things a certain way. And they just, you know, sometimes you. Everything that looks like it's um, like it's good may not be good for you, and I think that's some of the c- decisions that they make. Well, isn't it crazy when you think about where you're setting the bar right now for this team? NFC Championship. This is a group that hasn't been to the playoffs since 2016. You were on that team, and for them to be on the cusp of a 10-win season at Week 14 and building towards this, how? When you kind of for you know forecast the entire NFC, when you think about that Dallas game, I mean that's a big proving ground for Dallas too, because you know unlike most of their opponents, Detroit has a winning record. To get to this point where they are on the the brink of a double digit win season, something that has not happened in Detroit all that often in the last seven eight years, what's the magnitude and significance of that? I think it's huge. You know, I think is I think is a big deal. I think. I probably was a part of the last 10 win season. Yeah, and the 11 win one in 20, wasn't that 2014? Yeah. I think 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a huge deal. You know what I'm saying? It's a huge deal because, you know, creating winning habits and creating a winning environment is is a huge thing. And when you do stuff like that and you create a winning environment, you create winning habits, it's attractive to free agents and people that you know can help you continue to win over a long period of time right you look at new england those guys won over a long period of time obviously they had tom brady but the culture there people felt like you know what i can deal with the whatever from the patriot way and belichick and all that stuff because we're going to have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And they felt that year in and year out. So free agents, they can, you know, they could take it for a year to try to win a Super Bowl. Now that the Patriots aren't winning and the Patriot way isn't, how, we're going to see how many big-time free agents you're going to see going that way because they're still trying to do the Patriot way but they're not winning and going to the Super Bowls. So when you can create winning cultures and winning programs, people will say, you know what? I go there. Right. And yes, I deal with the cold for a year. Right. I deal with the cold. (laughs) I deal with being in Detroit because I mean, let's be honest. Detroit is a nice city. It's and came back. They've put a lot into Detroit, but people will probably choose Dallas over Detroit. 
You know what I'm saying? They'll probably choose Chicago over Detroit just based off of city and, you know what I'm saying, environment, stuff like that. So, but when you're winning, now they're going to choose Detroit over Chicago. Because Chicago plays outside, it's colder probably, <laughs> and they're not winning. Yeah, Detroit is going to play inside. Maybe it's not as cold, but at least they're winning, right? So a lot of those things go into that. So you just want to build that that culture of winning. So being able to get the ten wins and say, "Hey, man, we're on the right track." You know what I'm saying? We're on the right track. We're doing things the right way. We just got to continue to add pieces. Guys get better each and every year. These young guys are going to be a year older next year. They're going to be a little more experienced. And you're just a better team. You add a couple pieces, and every now and then it just clicks at the right time, and and it happens. But you got to build that that culture of winning so that it's not just a one season here, one season five years down the road. You want to be in that conversation year in and year out. Speak to, uh, because I think Chicago and Detroit are in similar situations in the fact that we are uh, both cities that are desperate to see winning culture sustain. You talked about a winning culture. Speak to, oh, that's breaking news. We got to talk about that later after that. Robbie Gold just retired. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to Robbie. Uh, speak to what it is that that pressure that comes when you know that this the city is is dying for this winning team. And on top of all of that, you have this history of we fell short. We got here. We started to build something. And then it kind of came crashing down. Now we're trying to build something else. I feel like both of our cities have kind of gone through that. You were a part of two teams, right, that got to the playoffs. And Detroit was dying to see playoff football. What is that pressure like when you're on the field? You know, when you're on the field, you're not really thinking about it. You're just kind of playing. Um, I mean, honestly, you really don't think about that stuff on Sundays. Yeah. You really only think about that stuff like Monday through Friday when you hear the media talk about it or people yeah. talk about it. You know what I'm saying? You really don't think about that. You really focus on trying to win. That's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to win the games. You're not really thinking about a lot of that stuff until, like I say, you got to do media, and now they bring it up. Hey, man, this hasn't happened in this long. And yeah. <laughs> fans are waiting for this and that because you got to think, like, a lot of these guys, I mean, these the Detroit Lions is the NFL team, right? These players are not from Detroit. Like, I'm from Mississippi, right? Like, I played my first four years in Houston. When I came to Detroit, like, I, I'm, I'm not from Detroit. Yeah. Right. Um, so you now, I know the history. Much. I know the history of football because I right, grew up yeah. a football fan. But a lot of these young players, they they don't know anything. These guys don't know anything about the '90s, and they never saw Barry Sanders play. Yeah. Like they don't have a clue. I mean, they act like they do, but they don't know. <laughs> right. So they don't know the years really of 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 you know, suffering or whatever that the Lions fans have have dealt with. They're just right. coming in and they're trying to win. And yeah, you hear things. You try to change the culture and create winning ways, but they you don't really feel the pressure of of the fans or the the city. You really feel the pressure of the organization just trying to win. You know what I'm saying? You just want right. you just want to win. Um that's in my opinion. So when I was playing there 
you know, we we were we were we were trying to we were trying to do something special. You know what I'm saying? We were trying to do something special. We felt like we had the right group. Um just didn't work out that way. Had a heck of a receiver. Out that a way. heck of a quarterback, heck of a receiver, heck of a defense. Uh, they, there was a lot of turmoil when I saw Indomitian and Sue walk through the door, dog. You know, man, I, I, <laughs> Sue was a monster, man. I, I can't I can't lie. He was he was probably, you know, I would have to say probably one of the most dominant D linemen that I played with. And and the reason why I would say that is because I caught him probably in his like prime years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. When I played with JJ Watt, he was young. I played with JJ Watt his rookie year and his second year. Mm. So when I played with Sue, Sue was in like, you know, Sue came in in 2010. I came to Detroit in 2013. So Sue was in like year four, you know, five. He was ready to go. Like he was in his prime years when I was there. So he was probably one of the most dominant. Yes, JJ became probably more dominant, but he wasn't that when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Justin Fields because we brought him up a little bit ago and we know what he did the last time that he played the Lions. Three straight games, actually, of 100-plus rushing yards. So very clearly that's an area that Detroit's defense needs to hone in on this week. But he talked yesterday, and of course, he's kind of caught in the middle right now of a team that's trying to follow the Detroit trajectory of building towards a winning culture, and he may or may not be here next year. How... From what you've seen from him, you know, as a football fan, as somebody who follows this stuff closely, and somebody who's played in the played in the league for a long time, what do you think his NFL future is? Because I know that he falls into that category of the Lamar Jackson, where you've got about two guys in the league who can do what they do as well as they do. Lamar and Justin, it's nobody else. But like, where do you think? Like, what is next for him as far as him getting better as a quarterback, whether it's in Chicago or whether it's somewhere else next year? Well, the the thing I think about quarterbacks is the best quarterbacks are going to thrive on a good team and stability at the end of the day. That's that's what you're going to have. I think that's why you can see third round, fourth round, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. That's why you can see guys like that look like superstars. Why? Because he's on a really good roster, and I'm talking Brock Purdy, right? He's on a really good roster, got a really good defense, got really good offensive players around him, got a really good coaching scheme. It's it's stable. He's had the same coaching staff, same head coach, offensive coordinator since he's been there, and he don't have to do much, right? You look at guys like Justin Field, they go to these situations, multiple coaches, multiple offenses, not great roster. I mean, who are his receivers? I mean, like in, in the grand scheme of things, like who is he throwing about to? DJ Moore? Mm-hmm. I don't know if DJ Moore is feared around the league. Ooh, ooh I don't know about that. Feared? Yeah. No, but you bring you bring up a good point. I think you know? that a lot of people consider him like a top ten, top fifteen, top fifteen, probably maybe tens pushing it for re- receiver around the league. But you know, all right, size up that matchup for us. Like, how, why would you say he doesn't fall into that category of most feared 
by probably, and large. Probably because people. probably because he hasn't been on that type of roster. Meaning, yeah. meaning like <laughs> you can take a good player, you can take a good player and put them on an average roster, and they'll look like an above average player. You could take an average player and put them on a good roster, and they can look like a really good player. That's why you see guys that used to play for New England, and they look like world beaters. Then they go to other teams in free agency, and you wonder what happened to those guys. Because it's all about the system, what you're asked to do, and who's really around you. You take DJ Moore – and put him in Detroit, he's probably going to be a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Yeah. The offense, the weapons around him, the people, the system, he's probably going to be more. You put him in Chicago, now he's going to get double teams. He's getting number one guy. He, he The quarterback don't have time with the O-line. Like, now so, he's so frustrated. So you're so, more saying it from the standpoint of not that DJ Moore isn't a talent that can be feared, but right. the system that DJ Moore is in. Because right. I'm telling you right now, Glover, you know how this go. They're gonna clip that up. Everybody gonna see that, and they are gonna be like, "He don't think DJ Moore is fit." You gonna have no, bad fans. You DM. have to like listen to his point because yeah, he was on 100%. all those Carolina teams that were terrible, that yeah, had right. quarterback turnover yeah. year and year out, and now he's here. It, it's it's remarkable. We were we brought up the stat earlier. Fields and DJ Moore among like uh, quarterback receiver duos. Justin has the highest QBR in the league targeting DJ. And it's all obviously screens, those hitches that he can run and all those yak, the yak that he's able to to generate on his own. But imagine if he wasn't here, it's one of those situations that if you take DJ Moore out of the equation for Chicago, that's a team that's not in a great situation. But I think it's a very salient point considering He's never DJ's never been on a great team that's given right. him the opportunity to, to be, to be a, a, a a world Adult. beater, to be yeah, somebody right. that is one of those most feared guys. Like I said, and you you put him on another offense with a great system and players around him, he's gonna be immaculate. Do you know what I'm saying? And all that stuff goes together. And People can say what they want to say, but that's just what I feel. Yeah. Devontae Adams is still a really good player. But when he was in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, he's the best receiver in the NFL. <laughs> right? Now he's frustrated with four catches for 26 yards in yeah. games, right? Yeah. In Green Bay with Aaron yeah. Rodgers? Yeah. He's a totally different guy. Yeah. Right? So I think a lot of that stuff has to do with it. You know what I'm saying? So when I think about Justin Fields – and his career, I feel like it's a it's a it's an organizational thing. You guys can draft Caleb Williams if you don't put guys around him. You don't have him in a stable system. You don't have an O line that can protect. You don't have a running back that you can hand the ball off to and take pressure off of him. He's going to be the same thing. But he can't run like Justin Fields, so now he's probably going to get sacked more and be injured. Yeah. At the end of the day, if we're being honest, right, you take Justin Fields, he may have to go and play a backup to a Dak Prescott in Dallas, right? And then all of a sudden, injuries happen. Next thing you know, you put him out there and he get two or three games like it always happens. 
He played well. And now, just like these coaches, they get fired on one job, they'll be a coordinator on another job, and next thing you know, they're the next hottest coach, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it happens. You get yeah. fired here. You're going to be a backup here. You got to come in for three or four games. You play well. Now everybody's like, man, he's the best. He's going to be the coming up free agent quarterback. This guy, that's what I think can happen. But I think he needs to be in the system around some people that he can learn, he can grow as a player, as a quarterback, as a, as a thrower, Um you know, and I think if you look at the evolution of Lamar Jackson, like I feel like Lamar Jackson came in the league. He wanted to be a quarterback. They wanted him to be a wide receiver. They were so mad. I think he came in as a runner first, a yeah. passer second. But over the years, he's been the same coaches, right? I think now he's developed him to more of a passer first, run as needed mm-hmm. because even when they play Detroit, he's just trying to stay alive in the pocket. Yeah. I'm going to take off when I have to, but I think he's trying more to be a pass first guy and then run as needed. Whereas when he first came in, he was probably a, uh, it ain't there. I'm taking off, bump it. Right. Yeah. And so I just think Justin Fields need to get around Good quarterback coach, good system, good stable environment, good weapons around him where he feels safe, where he feels like I don't have to do as much and I can just play and be free. And I think he has talent. Obviously, anybody that can go, you know, that high in the draft, they have talent. Um, He's won at the highest level in college. And, I mean, those guys can play. It's just putting them in the right system and the right environment. And I think it's such a key point what you're saying because there are a lot of people that believe, you know, that Justin Fields is basically this guy can't figure it out. He can't get it together at this level. And then you start to look at the games. I look at the game he he played versus Detroit. It wasn't until his coordinator said, you're done throwing the ball for the day that we started to see Detroit get back into that game. He throws one pass in the fourth quarter. And yeah, on paper, right, run the football, run the clock out. That's the perfect scenario here. We don't have that team. We don't have that system. And I think that up in Detroit, you guys have the perfect example of that where Jared Goff was, yes, he could put up numbers, right? But Jared Goff was just a dude in in, in the Rams system. He just kind of existed. The Jared Goff I've seen this year, except for the last few weeks, right, has been a guy where, oh, I don't have Amon Ross St. Brown this week. That's okay. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to make plays. I, I don't have my my lead running back this week. That's okay. I'm, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to make plays. Right? He's been a guy that has turned into a elite quarterback in the NFL because of being in the right type of system. Right. And, and being stable. I mean, he's had the same offensive coordinator, I think, since he's been there. Yeah. Right? So – all those things make a huge difference. And the quarterback, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, guys, every year we have this debate, you know, every year we have this debate about MVP, league MVP, and, and we always – The quarterback know, award, basically. It's the quarterback award, right? <laughs> and I was like, it should be. 
because at the end of the day, let's just be honest. Nobody or nothing deters you from winning a Super Bowl more than losing your quarterback. Like you look at Jacksonville, they were feeling pretty good. They lose Trevor Lawrence. Oh. Look at the Jets. They yeah. come in ready to go win it all. You lose Aaron Rodgers. Oh. So the Chiefs can lose a wide receiver and still feel like Patrick Mahomes can get it done. They can have all the wide receivers. They lose Patrick Mahomes. Oh, man. It's just a totally different ball game, right? So, like you say, with DJ Moore, DJ Moore can be great. He may not be. But if you don't have a quarterback, if you don't have a quarterback that can get you the ball or you feel like can get you the ball, it's not going to matter. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just not going to matter. And so, Jared Goff, like you say, and 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 the Rams, you know, he had a lot of guys around him. He just really was just a guy. Just you know, he probably was. He was the starting quarterback and probably was the fourth most popular on the offense. Right? Yeah. I mean, you really think about the guys that they had out there. You come to Detroit now. You've been put in a situation where you're the guy. You're the leader. You've had a chance to develop as a leader in that system for the last three years. Now you're comfortable in that system. You're comfortable in Detroit, right? I think he needs to be more vocal. It was something I saw that came out yesterday that I said on, on our podcast, on the Believe in Lions podcast, that I think he needs to be more vocal. I think his team, like the, the laws that the Lions go through, like your quarterback can't allow those things to continue to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we always see Tom Brady blowing up on the sideline or, you know, like, that's fine. We can't allow our team to go through two, three-quarter lows where we just not executing at a high level. And I think sometimes Jared Goff, he just kind of goes and sits down and, and don't, don't. But it's hard to it's hard to do that when you're the one turning the ball over, yeah. right? It's hard to tell the offense guys we need to go when you're the one turning the ball over, right? We so, got to get it together. I threw it right to the other team. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but he's had a chance to get comfortable in that system, you know, learn the system in and out, Yeah. be be a key pillar in that offense. And, you know, we've seen him elevate his game some to where, yeah, you do feel like if one of his key guys isn't there – Jared Goff still can find a way to get it done because there are some other guys. And Jared Goff, he'll do enough to manage the game, handle the game, and we can still find a way to get a win. Um, but like I said, that just comes with stability, maturity, you know, growing, coaching, system. All that stuff plays a huge factor, man. The, the system and the rooms and the, the teams that a lot of these players go to, it, it really – dictates a lot about how your career will go. Oof. So who is then, because we were talking MVP, give me your MVP and then your defensive player of the year. Because from, from your logic, defensive players are, are not eligible for the MVP. So yeah, who would be your MVP this year? And then given there are so many good I mean, candidates. Let's, let's, for- be honest. let's be honest, right? You could take the best defensive player off the team and you still could win. Just be honest. I mean, 
you can win. Like the Ravens, the Ravens when they won their last Super Bowl, they played yeah. eight. They played ten games almost without Ray Lewis. That's true. And they went to the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. He came back with a torn tricep, peck, or whatever it was. They won a Super Bowl, right? Like you can win a game without Aaron Donald. You can yeah. do that. that. It make it a lot tougher. I think. I think it, it's. Right, like it's it's, it's the impact that that player has on it, right? So, like, if you're the guy that's like making everybody else look good, right? Like, listen, I've seen the Bears without Khalil Mack uh, uh, the next year, right when he was hurt. Kyle Fuller wasn't the same dude. <laughs> that right, right. That they have a huge impact on yeah, it. Yeah, but you can win a game without Khalil Mack. You could go and possibly win a Super Bowl, right? You lose that starting quarterback, it's over. unless you just got an immaculate defense like yeah. the, the Ravens in one of those years, Patriots. you're not going to Super Bowl. You're just not going. They had to go a few games without Tom Brady, but then he came right. back. Yeah, right. yeah, you, yeah. But it's it's just difficult. So my defensive MVP right now, ah, which is what I'm, we should call the award, by the way. I they, yeah, there should be that. an offensive. Like, I mean, but that is well. I mean, offensive player of the year, defensive right. player of the yeah, year, yeah, yeah. and then and it should be quarterback dash MVP. Because you're yeah. right. Like, there's a reason that a wide receiver's never won. That's why I don't think Tyreek's going to win this year. And it, you know, for a long time, it was a running back quarterback split. But you can take a look at all of these years in recent history. It goes to quarterbacks for all those points. But so, all right, let's start with your defensive player of the year. It's pro- I'm going to assume it's going to somebody up front in the trenches, considering how well these defensive ends are playing. Yeah, it, it has to. You know, it, it has to. I don't. I don't think there's any uh, defensive back. Well, let me ask: you, If Deron Bland didn't get cooked last week by Seattle, could he have been a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year? Because of yeah. all the pick sixes and interceptions. Yeah, no question. And I and I think he still can. <sighs> I, I think I think he still will be a candidate. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the NFL. Like that's tough for me because I feel like right, the defensive player of the year is the guy that's making his life easy. Again, right? Like the the Khalil Mack makes Kyle Fuller's life easier. When there's no Michael Parsons, he gets cooked. Right? right Michael Parsons but, had an off game, he got cooked. Right. When Michael but, Parsons having an own game, he's taking it to the house. That's that's but but when you start looking at the defensive player of the year, they're gonna do it based off of numbers. So that's if true. Michael Parson getting pressure, but he ain't getting the sacks, that's true. He ain't gonna have the numbers. That's really what it comes down to. And when you look at Deron Bland over the course of a season, if we play 17 games and you say he got cooked one game, like I like hey, I mean Michael Parson didn't get a sack every game either, right? They have those games where they have four sacks and then they have those games where they have none right we didn't say oh he couldn't be the mvp this year because trent williams pancaked him two times like (laughs) nah he just had he just had a bad game but over the course of the year you had a good year right so the run plan is they still got five six games left he already got eight interceptions five pick sixes like i mean you know and i'm a defensive back right yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like Seattle saw something. 
Because that's the only way, in my opinion, that you can have eight interceptions this early and five pick sixes. They're seeing something on film that makes them feel like they can continue to go at you. Mm -hmm. Because if you was that type of guy, they wouldn't even be throwing you the ball that many times. Like, you wouldn't even have that many opportunities to catch eight interceptions or, you know what I'm saying? Like, so that makes me feel like, because, like, if you look back when Richard Sherman first started, right? Sherman had a lot of picks. But people felt like they could make plays on Sherman. You look at Marcus Peters. He was like a modern-day D'Angelo Hall, right? make a lot of plays on the ball, but he might give up an 80-yard bomb, right? So those guys are going to get opportunities to make plays because they're going to keep going at him. But you look at a guy like a Revis type, he's not getting 26 balls thrown at him all season. Yeah. Right? He's not even looking inside of the field. So he's not going to have five pick sixes. They're right. not even coming over here. Right. So – you know, I think he'll get in the conversation based off the fact that Dallas is winning, you know, especially they and, and he finished the season strong. Um, he's leading the league in picks. He got that many pick six. We've never really seen anything like that. So I think he'll get put in the conversation, although I don't think he'll win it. I think it'll go to, you know, whoever is going to be like that sack leader, mm-hmm. Um you know, and I don't really know who that guy is right now. You know, lately I've been seeing, you know, Josh Allen from um, from Jacksonville has been playing crazy good the last few weeks. I don't know how his whole season has been. Um, but you're going to have the staplers that's – if they're healthy and, and performing, the T.J. Watts, the the Nick Bosa's, and I think T.J.'s been hurt a little bit. Um, I don't know exactly who's going to win the, the defensive MVP – um, but I think it'll definitely be somebody up front for sure. You know, they control Ooh. the game. Right uh, now, I forgot about this last game. Right now, it would be any, any Khalil Mack, 15 sacks on the season. So Khalil. And see, and that's another thing, right? Khalil Mack is having a great season. Imagine if he was having that season for Dallas Cowboys or for San Francisco. <laughs> well, he be the MVP. We, we wouldn't be, be having this conversation. We know who it All is. Right. He'd be the MVP. Who's your, who's, your, uh, who's your MVP overall this season right now? <sighs> overall right now, I probably will have to go with – it's tough, man. Oof. <sighs> um – That's tough. I think Dak's playing great right now. Oof. Um, right, like but it's hard. It's hard for me to say it's the MVP, right? It's not um, a bad bet, though. I mean, not a bad and, bet. and Brock Purdy are, I think, have the shortest odds. And see, and see the thing, and, and I know I keep getting off because I be feeling so many different ways about this stuff. <laughs> the thing about Brock Purdy that gets me is you go on a three-game losing streak when Debo Samuel was hurt. Mm-hmm. When Debo come back, mm-hmm. now y'all are a totally different team. So now it makes me feel like, like I said, Brock Purdy is surrounded by a lot of good players. I can throw a screen pass to Debo Samuel, and he takes it 65 yards for a touchdown. You take Debo Samuel out the mix for three games, and we lose three games. Same defense. Christian McCaffrey, I think, missed one of those games, maybe Mm -hmm. two. 
Actually Trent added Williams. to the defense because you brought in Chase Young. So. Right. Trent <laughs> Williams missed a game or two in that in that regard. But for the most part, they had the same team absent yeah. of Debo Samuel. Yeah. And you lose three games in a row. Debo comes back. Now Brock Purdy's playing good again. So it's stuff like that that makes me say Brock Purdy can't be my MVP. Mm. In my opinion. He All can't right. be. Dak Prescott, it is. Uh, Glover, we appreciate you for tuning in and rocking with us on this episode, bro. This has been great conversation back and forth. What's your prediction on Sunday? Let's finish on that. Who you got winning, Bears or Lions? Woo. Well, I mean, obviously, I got to go with the Lions as a win. I think. I mean, it's not like you got a, a whole painting of yourself in a Lions jersey behind. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And that, that pick actually came against Chicago. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure I remember it. I remember <laughs> it well, dog. <laughs> um, but I, I must say, I must say that um, I don't think it'd be as close as it was last time. Mm. I think mm-hmm. I think the lines will come in and be ready to go. They playing on the road. They playing outside, um, but I don't think they'll look overlook the Chicago Bears. I don't think they'll be looking forward to the two games back to back, right? Because a lot of times, just when I would play there, you know, you're playing on Sunday, but you know you're trying to ride around and play on Thursday. Yep. And the fact that you're playing against Chicago, you're already feeling like, all right, man, let's try to come out, get the game, this and this and that, so we can pull some guys. Rest up because we got to turn around and play on Thursday, right? Those conversations happen. Nobody's going to say it publicly, but that stuff happens. Of course. Of course. And so for them to come out and play the way they did against Chicago, it makes me feel like that that's what it was. Um, so I, I expect them to play a lot better um, this time around. So I'm going to give them, you know, Chicago defense is still tough, though. They play, they play the lines tough. So I'm going to give it. Uh, 27, um, 14. Dang, we get smoked. <laughs> he got them smoking us in Soldier Field. Hey, uh, that's, I hope that's you're wrong, not, That's not smoking. I mean, a, it's a 13-point loss. That's, 27, you know, 14. They lost, they, I mean, they blew a 12-point lead last time. Very, you know, could this happen again. Oh, no, listen, listen. I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm just saying that we getting smoked, right? We come out of that game feeling like, dang, we just got cooked again. I mean, uh, what, what you expect the score to be, like a one-score game? I, I, I think uh, the one thing about Jared Goff that uh, seems to consistently prove true, he don't like to cope. He don't. He don't like to cope. That's so like he's gonna be out there. County, California. Can you blame him? Yeah, he's like he gonna be out there fully layered up. He's gonna have that big old coat on that the NFL be giving y'all. He's gonna have sleeves on. See, he don't do the he don't do the right the 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 Trenton Chicago players be like, no sleeves, we tough, we playing out here. <laughs> nah, he'll he'll do that. Look at the picture behind. See his arms exposed in the picture behind him. He got the little arm. Nah, uh-uh. Jared Goff in a full body suit out there. He he don't like the coat. So I think that uh because of that, they're going to defer a little bit more to the run. I think there's supposed to be high winds as well. Mm-hmm. And um, they're going to defer a little bit more to the run. And the Bears are right now the number one run defense in the NFL, I believe. Number yeah. one or two. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the battle of Monty coming home and uh, the Bears run defense. So I think it'll be a little bit closer. I I, I figured 24-21, but I do got y'all. I do got y'all winning. 24-21? 24-21. I do got y'all winning. I mean, 
I don't I don't like it. But yeah, I mean, I I, I gotta follow what the season does. Hey, we appreciate you tuning in and rocking with us. Like I said, man. Love to have you back anytime. Love the football conversation. Love the breakdown and the insight. Ladies and gentlemen, Glover Quinn. Make sure you guys tune in with him over on the Believe in Lions podcast and follow him over on Twitter at Glover Quinn Jr. For Courtney Cronin, I'm Pat the Designer. Back at it again. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Let's hope Glover is wrong because that's going to make for an ugly week of football. <laughs> Peace. Peace. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, bro.